Okay, so I got a great big long title, if any of you have seen it yet. It says, you were dead, you were a dead sin slave, and we want to keep the gospel in front of you. So kind of a a two-part thing there, but uh, my purpose really this morning as we get started is to uh, look at this comparison between Israel and us. This is something I've been studying about uh, a little bit in my own devotion time, looking at the book of Deuteronomy, and I came across something that surprised me a little bit. It shouldn't have, but God uses a phrase over and over where he says, remember you were in Egypt. Remember you were slaves. Remember this. And as he sets up this whole new way of life for his people as they enter the promised land, that's the phrase he often wants them to, to have come back to their mind. I was a slave. I was. Now I'm not. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. I, want to, uh, I think that the, as we look at that, we'll have a, some better idea of what we ought to be keeping in front of us as believers because uh, God has given that to us. Um, I was thinking a little bit about uh, how, how we keep the gospel in front of us. Um, the God, I think a lot of times we treat the gospel like our natural birthday, right? We, we celebrate it once a year, and we get a fire permit for all the candles if we get further and further away from it, right? And that's how we often treat our birth in Christ with that same level of, I guess, it happened, and now I am here. And I want to challenge us this morning that the gospel is something that is intended to be in front of us every moment, every day. It's supposed to inform our everyday decisions. It's supposed to change what we do. Um, I was thinking about how when we remember our slavery, where we came from as sinners, and then we, we remember what the gospel has delivered to us, that changes everything about how our lives should be. Um, I, remind, I was reminded of scars. I've got a few scars. I'm old enough now to have a few scars. And the scars always remind me of stories that happened in my life, things that, experiences, right? Um, I was a little reckless as a boy. I didn't, we, sometimes I didn't think very well before I did things. Um, my mom can tell you, she's here this morning, uh, she, could, she could tell you that even in first grade I would wait for the bus by climbing the street light all the way to the top, fireman style. Worked good. You could go very far fireman style. It's amazing. Um, but I did all kinds of things without thinking. Uh, one time I, we went on a family vacation and I actually climbed up this cliff face and it looked climbable to me. So I went up it and uh, turned around and realized how high I was. And I slipped, and I fell off the cliff face, did a whole full flip in the air, and landed on the ground. And uh, didn't just land, I bounced, and I rolled. And uh, sat up after I was done with all of that. And the only injury that I had was a little split on my knee. I had to put some stitches in it. And it was just, it was a miracle that our family always looked back on to say, wow. What did the Lord do there? Just an incredible thing. Um, but the scar's still there. I look at it and I remember that life experience. I remember 
not thinking before I did something. Um, and that's, that's what scars accomplish in all of our lives. Uh, we remember where we came from, and we know not to go there again sometimes as, as a result of that. Um, just thinking about Christians, how, we, how easily we get uh, pigeonholed, even after knowing the Lord. I don't know if you found that in your own life, but there have been times that you've gotten depressed, times that you've gotten discouraged, times that you've gotten distracted, times that you've gotten off course from following the Lord. That happens quite frequently in our lives. Uh, even ministers, we've heard of lots of ministers that have fallen away from uh, the Lord, right? Or they've, they've, they've just taken a huge fall into sin, no longer serving in ministry anymore. It can happen even to, to Christians, right? It can happen to us if we are not engaged in keeping the gospel in front of us. Um, so how do we do that? We need to know where we've been, and that way we have a better idea of where we're going. Um, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, uh, just really briefly here. And prepare yourself, because i got a lot of scriptures this morning, and uh, you might be turning back and forth a little bit here. But Ephesians 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So that's, that's our, our commission as believers, right? We're to walk as children of light. How about Galatians 2.20? That also tells us where we ought to be going too. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, a couple scriptures there just showing the direction that we ought to be going with our, as believers, keeping the gospel in front of us. Um, we need to really immerse ourselves in the truths of the gospel constantly if our earthly lives are going to be any different. So as I talk about Israel and I talk about us, um, I, as we talk about Israel and, the, and the, some of the, I, the little observations there, I want you to think of us, okay? Think of us as believers, where we were and where we are now, where we ought to be going with the gospel. Let's, go, let's look real quick at uh, uh, Exodus chapter 5, verse 6 through 21. And as you're turning there, I, I, again, I was thinking about this theme of, of um, Israel remembering that they were once in the land of affliction. They were once um, in this terrible, terrible spot of slavery. Let's look at just a little bit of what that was like. Um, so Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 6. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. 
Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom it, Pharaoh's task, uh, taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, Why have you not done all, this ta all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And then the foremen of the people of Israel came and they cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is what the slavery looked like for Israel. They felt like the work that had been imposed on them was a sword. Pharaoh had had to kill them, to completely annihilate them. And the reason I read that is because I want us to get a picture of what God is talking about when he says, remember what the slavery was like. Remember. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Israelites were building a couple of cities for Pharaoh. They were building Pith, Pithom, I think it is how you say it, and Ra Ramses is basically two big cities for Ramses II. And they were dragging stone. They were uh, obviously making bricks. The scripture tells us they were having to go out in the fields and rake up the stubble to make to get the straw that they could use to make the bricks. And one other thing that kind of shows how horrible this time was for them was the murder of the infants, right? They were throwing, they were, it was infanticide. They were, they were throwing the babies into the Nile River to try to keep the, the population from growing. So we really see that it was, a, it was a terrible time. But here is the very interesting thing. Time and distance, plenty and ease tend to make us forget. And there's actually a point in it, as Israel is going through the wilderness with Moses where they say, uh, we had it good in Egypt. No, you didn't have it good in Egypt. It was, don't you remember how horrible it was in Egypt? Um, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And starting in verse 4, or no, I'm sorry, starting in verse 10. 
And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. So the warning God's giving his people as they get ready to go into the land is don't forget, don't let that tendency to forget get into your, your thinking. As, as things get easier, as the plenty comes, as the ease, as the time passes since you were in slavery, don't forget that you were slaves. In fact, God said um, he wanted them to celebrate the Passover as a reminder yearly to say this is when we came out of Egypt. This is when I was a slave and now I'm not. And every year to keep that in front of them to say we don't want to forget we, um, the other thing that the, the people of Israel had as a problem in remembering this is the attractiveness of sin, right? They're coming into this brand new land of Canaan and uh, the sin that's there, as horrible as it is, ends up being attractive to them, right? We know from studying Scripture that Israel did give in to following the gods of the land of Canaan, that they they came to, and um, that attractiveness, it caught their attention. And so they did forget that they were, had been slaves and had been set free. Uh, one of the things that always surprises me is uh, in Joshua, when they're getting ready to go into the land, Joshua points out, you know what? Put away the gods that are among you. And I thought, wait a minute. So you're telling me that as the people of Israel left Egypt, they packed some idols and they kept them with them all the way through the whole desert. And when they got to the promised land, they at some point unpacked the idol and started to worship it again. It, it was just such a, a stark thing for me to think about. If God's people could do that, what about a believer? Could a believer have an idol that they've packed, that they have not left behind, that is there just for emergencies, so to speak? That's really where uh, we need the Lord Jesus to reveal what's in our hearts. Uh, what, have we, what, what are we worshiping, really? I thought about how, how do the people of Israel know how to make a golden calf? They knew what shape to make the calf in, right? It wasn't like Aaron said, I just threw it in the fire and, you know, something jumped out. It wasn't like that at all. They knew how to make a golden calf from Egypt. Um, because when they were in slavery, they not only were afflicted with the taskmasters, but they also were afflicted with the temptation to worship 
Egyptian gods that were there. Um, they were they were tempted to give in to the religion of, of Egypt and to forget that they had been called as the chosen people of God. Joshua uh, 24, I'm not going to read it this morning, but 24, 14 to 15, and 22 to 23, that's where it talks about um, Joshua saying, hey, put aside the idols that uh, you have among you. So if you want to look at that a little bit later. Attractive, so we have a tendency to forget. We have the attractiveness of sin. And then also, one of the things that, uh, that they were to do um, in remembering where they came from was to keep absolute humility. It was not because of their righteousness, because uh, Scripture says they were a stiff-necked people, right? They were stubborn. And I know we're not stubborn. We're not stiff-necked. We don't, we don't, we're not at all the same. Uh, right? But that's what the gospel did for us, right? It saved stiff, stubborn people like you and I. And so in light of that, we've got to keep a heart of absolute humility, recognizing where we were and what we have been delivered to. Um, Deuteronomy uh, 9, we're going to go there. Chapter 9, verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. Remember who you were, right? Remember so that you keep that absolute humility. Thinking about um, us, you know, how, how these things connect to us. We need to not forget that we were dead sin slaves. Some of us may have come to know Christ recently. Some of us might have done it a long time ago. But in order to remember how tempting sin can be and how much the slavery, how, how enslaving it was, all you really have to look at is temptations now. You get up tomorrow morning and you face temptation there's something that you really want to do that you know the Lord says not to do. That's such a great picture of how enslaving it would be if you didn't have the ability to say no. Right? Before Christ, we didn't have the ability to say no to temptation. We were slaves to it. Um, and so tomorrow when we wake up, we remember, you know, I'm in Christ. I'm not a slave anymore. I love the way uh, there's an author that pictured it like... Uh, Kind of like a, a chain that you have that was attached to your neck before you knew Christ. And Christ broke the chain. But every now and again, uh, you look out there and it looks like the chain is still attached. It's what you might call a ghost chain, right? With the ghost old you on the other end of it tugging it and saying, 
hey, you're still a slave. You still have to give in to that. You still have to do that wrong thing. But the reality is it's just a ghost chain, right? It's broken. You have been set free, and it's a lie from the enemy to tell you that you're not free. And so um, we need to remember that we were caught in sin, slavery, but we're free now. Um, another art, uh, another uh, author, um, John White, talked about it like a cage with imaginary bars. And you can sit in those behind those bars and think that they are so real, but they're not. Christ has given us the ability to walk out of that cage and to walk into freedom in Christ and, and into holiness and a new life with Him. Um, so for us as believers, we need to make sure that we take, um, take care that we don't forget time and distance, uh, plenty, right? Um, the, the way when things are going well in our lives, we don't forget that we were slaves. We also want to not have um, give in to that attractiveness. Um, let's look at uh, one, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 6 which I think really talks about this a lot. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 through 11. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and a slave to God in Christ Jesus. Probably one of my favorite chapters, Romans 6. And anytime that you are feeling that, that ghost chain of slavery, like it's still around your neck, go back to Romans chapter 6. Take a look and, and refresh yourself on what God has done. Let's... Um, And, and think, you know, I was thinking about even that attractiveness of sin, um, the the uh, and the way that we sometimes keep idols. I was thinking about uh, a friend of mine that was a uh, wanted to be an actor, and he uh, told me when he first started acting in the movies that he was he knew that the movie he was acting in was not something he would want his kids to watch. It wasn't really something that, that you could really recommend as a believer should go watch. But he was willing to make that sacrifice in order to be able to get to acting in the kind of movies he wanted to act in. And that never made sense to me. It really never made sense to me why it was okay to make that small sacrifice of, uh, I know I shouldn't really be doing these things in order for my ultimate goal that, you know, I want to serve God as an actor. 
Well, you're not going to do very well getting there if in the very first steps you're willing to compromise at this level. Um, sometimes I think, and I know at least from speaking from a guy's perspective, we have our, our things that we really want to do in life, right? Man, if I could just if I could just do that, if I could just go there, if I could just uh, get that, whatever it might be, we have those aims, those hobbies, those um, things that we love to do, and we have to be careful not to let those things distract us from what's really important. It's not that those things are bad in and of themselves. It's fine to love your hobby or to have a, even to have a goal of being an actor. But be sure that that is not taking you away from what Christ intends for your life. Uh, remember where you were and where you're going and keep the gospel in front of you. We've got to, to uh, practice absolute humility because we were dead sin slaves. Remember Romans 3 uh, verse 10 and Romans 3.23? None is righteous, no, not one. All of sin fall short of the glory of God. Um, we were dead in our sin. Let's make a second observation. So first we talked about um, uh, not forgetting the change. Don't forget the change. But secondly, let's talk about um, what marks the changed. What, what does it look like to be changed? Um, so first maybe we think about Israel. What marked their living as slaves? And I was thinking of some different words that might describe what they felt as slaves. About darkness, hopelessness, death, fear, sorrow, anger, living in a flood of debauchery, right? They're living here in Egypt with all of these uh, gods around them. Um, you know, when Moses came to uh, Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and he he, had, uh, he worked with the Lord, and the Lord gave him all these different uh, plagues that he was supposed to, to proclaim to Pharaoh. Each one of those plagues addressed a different god in Egypt. Egypt had a sun god. They had a cattle god. They had a, a god of um, the water. And so each of those plagues was a direct affront to a god of Egypt that showed the powerlessness of the gods of Egypt. So by the time Israel left Egypt, not only had their whole land been decimated by these horrible plagues, but um, every uh, god, major god of the Egyptian religion had been shown to be not powerful because he'd been overcome by the god of Israel. And it was an incredible, incredible um, break in Egyptian thought and life. In fact, the history books tell us that the king the Pharaoh following the Israelite exodus actually changed the whole religion of Egypt. And he was the first Pharaoh to actually marry only one wife, which was totally unheard of in, the land, in, in Egypt up to that time. Um, and he, he also changed the religion of Egypt to, the, to worshiping one deity. Hmm, I wonder why. Incredible things that God did there in that deliverance. Um, but the Israelites, as they came out of slavery, they would, have, they would have felt those things in slavery, but they forgot those things, right? When they were in the desert, 
Uh, if you look at Leviticus 11, and I'm not going to have you go there right now, but 11, uh, 4 to 6, um, they told Moses, hey, we had all this rich food in Egypt. And he said, don't you remember the slavery? Don't you remember? Remember the whips? Remember the taskmasters? Remember the dead babies floating on the Nile? They put on their rose-colored glasses and have forgotten what marked their living as slaves. But what would mark their lives as free and chosen? They had been given now, on the other side they're of their deliverance, they've been given a purpose, right? They're the people of God. Out of all the earth, Israel would display the glory of God and His name. And they were given a promise, right? They were, they were told they were going to enter the land of milk and honey. And when they actually settled, they would have vines they didn't plant, houses they didn't build, enemies that were scattered before them. Incredible purpose and an incredible promise that God had, had given them to mark their freedom. Um, if you look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verse 7, talks about this just a little bit. Deuteronomy 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. That promise that he had given them uh, such a, a, a change in their experience, right? Now they're not going to be slaves anymore. Now they're going to have this blessed land of milk and honey to, to live in. So uh, what responsibilities would they have in this? Right? They were going to have some things they had to do in their freedom. They would need to keep the commands of God, His statutes, His, his prescription of worship, His definition of their society's life and, and what it would look like. Um, along that line, they, they would, be, uh, they would have, be responsible to treat the people that were around them that were foreigners, widows, orphans, um, sojourners, they would be asked to treat them um, with the reminder that they had once themselves been in slavery, once they had once themselves been on a journey, they had once themselves been uh, in the land of Egypt as a slave, and so they were to treat those around them with a compassion and a realization of uh, what they used to be and that these folks were where they used to be. The look of their culture, their lives, it, it could bear no resemblance to where they came from. Um, and it was not to look like the land that they were entering either. You know, I came across an interesting thing that I studied um, regarding the houses. When God said that the Israelites, when they came into the land, um, He didn't want anything of the land of Canaan to be influencing this, the, the culture of his people. He wanted a completely new culture, right? And so he had all these laws about leprosy. And I even found an interesting one, leprosy in a house. 
ever had your house get leprosy? <laughs> but uh, apparently there were houses that got a leprous disease on the walls of the house. And digging in a little bit, I, and I don't know a ton about this. I'm not much of an archaeologist. I always wanted to be, but <laughs> I never ended up being an archaeologist. But in Canaan, they used to build these houses with the idols in the foundation. They'd, they'd build the cornerstone of the house, and they'd put an idol within that cornerstone. And you'd never know it once the house was built. So God's people come into the land, and they say, well, that looks like a great house, and they have no idea what's in the cornerstone of the house. And so God, as I understand this, God is allowing a disease, a leprous disease, to show up on the wall of the house. And then they can go through and try to purify the house, save it, and if the leprosy disease doesn't leave the house, they have to dis completely destroy the house. And of course, that would, uh, that would allow them to find the, all, the idol that was buried in the foundation of the house because God didn't want even a hint of his, the culture and society of his people to look like the land, the Cana of Canaan, where they were entering. He didn't want, he wanted that complete break. Um, and I just thought, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. God wanted um, the aim of their lives, their worship, to be him alone. I'm a worship pastor, and one of the things that I constantly keep in front of my, try to keep in front of my thinking is that we're all built to worship something, right? Everyone is formed to worship. What you worship is the question, right? So we're either going to become worshipers of our God and Savior, or we're going to be worshiping something else. There's no middle ground. And God wanted his people to make sure that their worship was him alone. Um, they were to walk as the children of promise. They were to walk as those who were owned by God. That was how they would be marked as different, as not slaves. All right, so us, what marks our lives as not being slaves? Well, Think, well, think about what, what marked our lives as being slaves before. Those same words I gave you earlier. Darkness, hopelessness, death, fear, sorrow, anger, reveling in dissipation or, or uh, living in a flood of debauchery. Um, Colossians 3, verse 5 through 10 talks about this. Let's, let's turn there. Colossians 3. And this is the list of things that we're to put to death. In other words, they're the things of our slavery before Christ. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, huge list, right? Huge laundry list of the things that marked our lives as slaves that now we're to put off. First uh, Peter talks about this too in, ver- in chapter 4, uh, verses 3 through 6. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanted to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to these things, they're surprised that you do not, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So, those are the things that marked our, our lives as slaves. But what marks our lives as free? We have a purpose, right? Just like the people of Israel did. We have the Great Commission. God has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? To make disciples. We have a, a, a purpose to, to, li- to deliver the gospel. We have um, a purpose that the gospel should be lived in our lives uh, as well. Um, we are a temple that God's building. You ever heard that one? We're the cornerstone of Christ, and all of us as believers are being built up on that temple, uh, and built into a temple for God's glory. Um, that's one of the things that we've been talking about in uh, the Gifted to Serve series that Danny's been doing. Our gifts as a Holy, uh, that the Holy Spirit has given us, they're all part of that building, that, that temple uh, for the Lord. Um, on the cornerstone of Christ. And next week, thank goodness, we'll be back into his series and, uh, and, and we'll finish that out. Looking forward to that. So we've been given a promise, but we've are given a purpose, but we're also given a promise, an inheritance that will not fade. And the Spirit is given, in our, uh, given to us in our sanctification. So we're given the Holy Spirit, we're given an inheritance that will not fade, and we're made, being made daily into the image of Christ. That's a great promise, tremendous promise. So what responsibilities do we have in our freedom in Christ? Well, Peter says we're to arm ourselves in 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 2, arm yourselves with suffering in the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, the Christian life is not all about our enjoyment. In fact, it's very little about our enjoyment. When we learn to live in holiness and walk with the Lord and walk in freedom from slavery, then uh, we're going to realize that there's times we have to set stuff aside. Times we have to say, you know what, that's an idol, and I don't need it. That is of the flesh, and I don't need it. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's a cross that we must bear, right? He said, take up your cross and follow me. And so we, gotta, we, we need to be ready as believers to say, yes, I'm free, but I have a great responsibility in my freedom to live for Christ, to set aside the things of the earthly nature, to set aside the things that would hold me back from following him. 
we have the responsibility to, to keep the commands that the Lord has given us. You know, I, I think about the Ten Commandments. A lot of times we think of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We get this great big divide, you know, where never the two cross. But the fact is Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he said, no, if you're my disciple, I haven't removed the Ten Commandments. I've expounded upon them, right? Where it used to be do not murder, now it's love your brother. Where it used to be do not commit adultery, now it's actually do not look in lust upon a woman. He said, it's actually, I, I haven't removed a single jot or tittle from what God said in the Ten Commandments. Instead, I'm t teaching you, my disciples, to walk in love. That, right? That love is the foundation of obeying the commands of God. I haven't eliminated them. So we have a responsibility as Christians not to think that our salvation hangs upon whether we did everything right. We know that's not true. Salvation is by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. But he does ask us to now walk in holiness, to walk in the difference from slavery, realizing we were a dead sin slave, but now we're free in righteousness to obey the commands of God. Um, we should treat those around us uh, like where we used to be. Think about... Uh, Think about that. Do you get irritated with lost people? <laughs> or do you have compassion on them like Jesus did? Yeah, he said he came to bring sinners to repentance, not the righteous. He came to be a doctor to the sick, not the well. And so we need to have that same kind of treating of, of those that have not yet come to Christ. Um, when someone burns down your tree... Is your first thought, that poor person, what a shambles they must feel that their life is in. I hope, I pray there's a way that I can share the hope of salvation with them. Is that your view of those who are lost or of those who are stumbling in the darkness? Say, you know what? I once was there. I was a dead sin slave too. I know what it's like. Please come with me into the freedom that's in Christ. So we also have a responsibility to change our culture as believers, right? To change the look of our culture. And when I say that, I mean, how does your life look? Um, how does your home look? When people look at your lives, can they see a difference? That's really a big question. Um, I always like to think, you know, when people walk into my home, that's a, great, that's a great indicator of what's important to me, what's valuable to me. And when situations arise in our home, have to take stock and say, well, now, wait a minute. Most of the world would say, handle it this way. But the way the kingdom of God operates, I don't handle it that way. And this home operates under the kingdom of God principles, not under the world principles. In our home, we do things the way the kingdom of, of God does. And so, no, I'm not just going to walk away from an argument. No, I'm not going to say something that slanders you because I'm angry. Because that's not the way the culture of the kingdom of God is. We don't do that. We don't operate that way. And 
we need to have that kind of culture change, that culture shift as believers. Um, my culture is to come into permanently changing contact with the kingdom of God. The kingship of Christ determines what I do. James 4.17 says it pretty, pretty simply. Um, he knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it. Sins. Right? Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Our lives will say how much we value Christ. If you're a believer here this morning, how much does your, your life, the way you live your life, how does it, what does it say about how much you value Christ? Um, John Newton had a great quote that I wanted to read to you this morning, and it's a poem. Listen close. John Newton, uh, writer of Amazing Grace. Uh, what think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of Him. As Jesus appears in your view, as He is beloved or not, so God is disposed to you, and mercy or wrath are your lot. John Newton was saying, we have got to think rightly of Christ. The way our lives are lived, they have got to reflect how much value we give to what Christ has done in our lives. That should change our culture uh, as believers. That should change how our lives operate. What is the aim of your life? Right? What is your worship? You're created to be a worshiper. What are you worshiping? Um, are you walking as a children, uh, child of the promise? Are you walking as God's own? Are you walking as children of light and the truth? Um, look real quickly with me at 1 Peter 4, chapter 7, I mean verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There is a picture of the culture and the shift that happens in the life of a believer. That's what our Gifted to Serve series has been all about. We want to make sure we make that shift and we walk as the children who are free, not as sin slaves that were dead. So a couple con uh, conclusions here. I wanted to remind us... Uh, uh, about this whole human nature flow because sometimes I think we forget. What we put in our mind drives the direction of our hearts or our souls. And what we is, where our souls or our hearts are, that's where our actions come out of. Right? There's the sequence. Mind, heart, action. 
So, what is it that is in front of your mind constantly? Is it the gospel? Is it putting on the mind of Christ? Is it saying, every day I want to remember what the gospel tells me? When the world is attractive, when I have a tendency to forget that I was a slave, I want the gospel to be in front of me. Um, is your mind constantly looking um, at what Christ has delivered to us in the gospel? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example here. Um, you can use the gospel on a daily basis. So say you have a, a something, just a couple example things. Say, maybe you're saying to yourself, I feel that what was done to me is inexcusable. But the gospel tells me that as my heavenly Father has forgiven me, I must forgive. Do you see that? I used a but the gospel to change what's happening right now in my thoughts. How about another thought? I know myself. I simply won't be able to change that in my life. But the gospel tells me that I am a new creation and the old has passed away and the new has come. Or how about this? I feel like I'm doing quite well serving the Lord. Giving in a great way to his work, he must be pleased with me. But the gospel tells me that he first loved me while I was unlovable. When I had not done any of the good things that I have now, his love was unconditionally bestowed on me. I cannot make him love me anymore or any less. We need to use the gospel to, to change how we think and how we act. We put it in our mind. It changes our heart. And where your heart is, there will your, or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That, that action demonstrates the heart. When, it, when it's changed, it drives our actions. So if you have a problem with your actions, backtrack, right? Where's my heart? And how did my heart get informed? With the gospel? I want to also, just as we um, close here, I want to ask you this question. Where do you stand? Do you keep the gospel in front of you all the time? Does it inform and prescribe your every decision and desire? Uh, maybe you're even hearing me this morning and you would say that I'm not sure I've made that public declaration that I accept the gospel and that I believe that Jesus paid uh, for me and that I believe um, the gospel. But the Bible says that we've got to confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and then we'll be saved. We, we have to make a deliberate choice to admit our sin, to believe that, that Jesus paid that debt for sin that we could not. And more than just having this, this academic knowledge of him, we must fully trust ourselves to him. We must trust in his name, not in ourselves and what we've done. If, if, you're, if you haven't done that and you're here this morning, you're like, this is not making sense, but I'm interested. I'd like to know. 
I want to talk with you. I know there's elders here in the room this morning that would talk with you after the service. And I encourage you, please don't leave without digging into that and say, I, I want to understand what you're talking about with the gospel. Um, I'm not sure that that's what I've believed or that I've put my trust in Jesus. And we'd love to introduce you to Jesus if we can. I'm going to leave you with a passage, um, Ephesians chapter 2. And this is where I'm going to conclude because I want us to just kind of keep this in front of us. This is really a summary of what the gospel has done for us. Uh, Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse uh, 1 through 10. Listen, and let's keep the gospel in front of us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were a dead sin slave but now you're not. You were in the land of affliction, but now you are not. You are free in Christ. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed, right? 